I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh, host of the podcast, Mating Matters. I believe nearly every human behavior is motivated by a desire for love. I love the romantic endings. I believe in happy endings. Sex. Sometimes find myself looking for reasons to have sex. Or to hedge your reproductive odds. I've always been very active. In Mating Matters, we explore how our ancient brains are interacting with the modern world. Listen to Mating Matters on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. At iHeartRadio, we bring you the best podcasts from the Ron Burgundy Show to The Breakfast Club to Stuff You Should Know. Really, all of today's biggest names. But each of these shows started with an idea, and now we want yours. We're looking to you for the next great podcast. Simply go to nextgreatpodcast.com to get the details and submit your pitch. We'll select up to 10 semifinalists and give them $1,000 to produce a pilot. Then, listeners from across the world will vote on their favorite to decide the next great podcast. Enter today at nextgreatpodcast.com. That's nextgreatpodcast.com. Why shouldn't the next great podcast come from you? In Atlanta, another body was discovered today, the 23rd. At police task force headquarters, there are 27 faces on the wall, 26 murdered, one missing. We do not know the person or persons that are responsible, therefore we do not have the motive. From Tenderfoot TV and How Stuff Works in Atlanta. Like 11 other recent victims in Atlanta, Rogers apparently was asphyxiated. Atlanta is unlikely to catch the killer unless he keeps on killing. This is Atlanta Monster. Hey guys, welcome to part two of our Q&A session. I'm here with the Tenderfoot TV team and How Stuff Works. I'm Jason from How Stuff Works. I'm Meredith from Tenderfoot. This is Donald from Tenderfoot TV. And we are here today to answer your questions. Hey, my name is Joe. Was there ever a house or location of where they thought there was like a sexual ring going on where people were taking maybe over to that house and that could have green carpet there? Just wondered if you've ever heard anything about them actually investigating the house. One of the hardest parts of this story i think to to hear and frankly it was a story that was told in the media so going to uncle tom's house tom terrell um there was frank and open talk about at least 10 of these boys visiting his house we've seen some pretty graphic detail of what happened there that these kids would come through the neighborhood and just for a couple bucks would participate in some, you know, some pretty troubling things and even sleep over. Um, a couple years after this case was closed, uh, Tom Terrell's house and the house next door burned down. We went back, if you remember, mm-hmm. and it was raised. There was nothing there. It was it was a clean field. Just empty lot, yeah. If you were looking at the field and you looked directly to your left, you saw the Georgia Dome and you saw where the Omni, which is a, a big location in the podcast, so you can actually imagine where kids were coming from there, going through the neighborhood, stopping, and then hitting their ultimate destination uh, at their houses at any time of the day. Um, it's really heartbreaking. Uh, and often in trials, not all the evidence they have is presented. Just enough of the strongest evidence is used to sure. convict someone. So even though it was known, it was in the media, it doesn't mean it has to show up in trial. But what we don't know is, was there a larger kind of pyramid of players here 
Uh, we've heard some of the adult victims may have been running through the same neighborhood. Right. So I, I hate speculating on this stuff, but something really, really nags at me that says there's a connection here. I just don't know what it is. And we didn't present this on the podcast because we frankly just didn't have the evidence. We didn't have anything that would tell us that these things were all specifically connected. Even back then, the media theorized that some of the adult victims could actually have been co-conspirators. So there is a scenario that some of these things are connected um, and that it's larger than one person. So we already all believe that, you know, this wasn't all the work of one monster, but it could be the work of a few people working together and then some of, some other things that are completely unrelated, some things that are related to those um, that those houses were, and some of those victims that were at those houses that also weren't related to Wayne Williams or any other co-conspirators with Wayne Williams. So just, you know, like I said, there's just not enough evidence to point that that is true or false. So it's one of the things we didn't really dive deep into because it's just a big question mark. So we kind of focused on, you know, the larger issues in front of us that we had, you know, more evidence to point to. It was called Uncle Tom's Cabin was the nickname that it was given in the media. Vincent Hill, the former police officer, was a huge advocate of this theory. And he had his own evidence he showed me. He firmly believed that there was a real connection between this Uncle Tom's Cabin and the Atlanta child murders. And based on what he showed me, I think that at least a few of the victims were connected. But the question remains... Did it have to do with Wayne Williams? Is there a bigger story here? Or are we looking at a bunch of different murders by different people? Yeah, I mean, like Tim- Timothy Hill was at Tom Terrell's house the day before he went missing. Right, and was supposed to return. And you can't just you can't dismiss that, but it's hard to put those connections together so many years later. That's the problem with this. Everyone says it's so confusing. It is confusing. It, th- there's no way to make it all make sense. Because I firmly believe it doesn't all make sense. Right. It doesn't all connect. There's not one big puzzle here that makes sense, and this is this explains everything. Right. We're talking about different things that happened. Right. I think one thing that we make the mistake of, just the general public, when we look at um, a crime like this, is trying to find the one after that solves everything. And also that trying to look at every child's name that appears on a list and saying that— um, all of the evidence has to fit every single victim. And when one doesn't fit, we can't throw it all out. It may just be that that evidence or that assailant or, you know, the, the the person responsible for one is not responsible for the other. There's definitely a world where several of these victims are murdered for several different reasons, some associated with one killer, some associated with this house, some by street violence, and all that evidence is no way it's going to all match up. And and one thing is true, and that's that sex rings were a real thing in Atlanta and other cities. Um, we're going to share a clip from another uh, another caller who I actually know. Um, her father was named Wayne Williams and uh, was in the phone book, and they got all kinds of nasty calls. And here she shares a story of some of the sex ring activities that were happening in uh, Cabbage Town here in Atlanta. I lived in Inman Park at the time, which is just on the other side of the tracks from where everything was happening. I have a lot of memories of it. I know for a fact that there was a kitty pornography ring that was going on in Cabbage Town. 
at the time, and I know this for a fact because I rode the school bus with a lot of the um, boys who would whisper about um, getting paid for PPE pictures and have that, you know, kind of burned into my brain. Hi, this is Dave from Los Angeles. I know you guys kind of touched on this before, but has there ever been any serious inquiry on whether Wayne possibly partnered with his father in these murders? With the uh, fibers from the house being on the victims, it seems to me the only real good way to get a fiber onto a victim is direct contact with the fibers themselves, uh, as though the victims were brought home and disposed of, and even photographs. Most serial killers have a trophy aspect to them, and Wayne Dead was a photographer and enjoyed taking pictures of the, uh, the funerals afterwards. That's a good point. It, it would be merely speculation to talk about that at all. But one thing I do find interesting is that you take all the evidence against Wayne Williams, it would also match his father. All the carpet fibers, everything would be the same. So it is interesting, and I don't know much about their relationship. I asked Wayne a few times about his father, but he never really got into it, which I found also was kind of strange. And they had a strained relationship, and we we kind of briefly touched on that. They had an argument out in a parking lot around the trial time. We stayed away from trying to present a lot of the speculation on this. We heard a lot of stories that we actually did not put in the podcast. Um, But I will say this. We do know that Homer Williams was the only photographer at the Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. benefit concert. Uh, We do know that he was on stage with Frank Sinatra. We do know that he took the iconic photo of Sammy Davis Jr. and Mayor Kasim Reed. But there's there's lots of questions. Like one of the things we heard over and over again was Wayne and Homer are showing up at the funerals. They're showing up at the uh, at the case sites where the bodies were. I can tell you personally, I looked at hours and hours and hours of video footage and never saw it. So we're not going to make a statement on that. Like I've never seen it with my own eyes. So to present that out there just doesn't make sense. We do know that Chet Detlinger talked about Homer being there at Jimmy Ray Payne's funeral, and we did discuss kind of that connection. Uh, But we've heard lots of things. Chet also talks about he actually met with Homer and Wayne a lot. He met Wayne in jail. He went to their residence when Wayne was in jail and Homer was at home and talked with him about the fact that they took boxes and put them in dumpsters near a nearby downtown school and the fact that Homer had all kinds of photography that he burned. And he admitted to doing it, but he said, you know, it was just unclaimed extra copies of stuff and and even... So I'll burn them and not just throw them away. Yeah, and this was in the kind of cleanup phase. He said um, they were unclaimed extra copies and photos that just didn't turn out right. And Chet said, I've never been satisfied with any part of the explanation about the cleanup, either Wayne's or Homer's. The best I can say is it could be true. Hmm. We should start a podcast. Yeah, we've all said it. But when it comes time to make it a reality, we get stuck. Well, here's some good news. With Spreaker, all you need to start a podcast is a microphone and a good idea. Spreaker handles the recording, management, distribution, and monetization of your podcast, allowing you to focus on making a podcast. 
Whether you're discussing the latest moves in the tech sector or just your dating life, Spreaker gives you tools to make your podcast a hit and professional insights about who is listening and where. And as your podcast dream grows, Spreaker only becomes more useful, letting you upload and schedule multiple episodes at the same time, push to multiple platforms and customize RSS feeds. But what about making money? With Spreaker, monetization is as easy as checking a few boxes. So next time someone says to you, we should start a podcast, say yes and let Spreaker handle the rest. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Maria Tremarki. And together we're exploring the margins of history and specifically at the intersection of history and true crime. Welcome to the Criminalia Podcast. Our first season of the show is all about lady poisoners. And history has not been kind to ladies. Women have been marginalized, they've been vilified, they're falsely accused, and often just plain misunderstood time and time again. But sometimes women take power for themselves, and sometimes they do it through murder. Some of these women absolutely were guilty, but some of them were probably labeled as criminals when that was not the case. And all of them were viewed through society's lens as sitting at this intersection of being both killers and the fairer sex. But how many were just misunderstood? Listen to Criminalia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, my name is Lori. So several years ago, I read the book Mindhunter by John Douglas. He is one of the people that basically founded the field of criminal profiling. It's a really fascinating book, and he had an entire chapter on the Atlanta child murders. And in that chapter, he describes exactly what was in the profile um, before they caught Wayne Williams. And it is absolutely uncanny. Yes, I've read that. I've read uh, that section of his book Mindhunter. Um, We did try to reach out to John Douglas early on. Uh, the name John Douglas came up multiple times in the FBI. Everyone we talked to really looked up to this person. He was a brilliant man. He's still around, and we tried to reach out to him early on, but we were not able to get an interview lined up. I think there was a sort of conflict of interest with the My Hunter show and our show, but you know he expressed that he would, would like to do it, but it just didn't work out. But you know everyone we talked to in the FBI really looked up to this guy, and he was sort of the master.